0: Welcome to ModPath Chat, the official podcast of Modern Pathology, featuring interviews with authors and experts on the latest science, technology, and developments in the field of pathology. Your host, Dr. George Neto, is the Editor-in-Chief of Modern Pathology and the Chair of Pathology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Here's Dr. Neto. My
1: pleasure today to host one of the leading experts on renal cell carcinoma, Dr. Anthony Gill. Anthony is professor and senior staff specialist in anatomic pathology at the Royal North Shore Hospital in Sydney. Dr. Gill has co-authored over 500 manuscripts. He's also a standing editorial board member of the fifth edition of the WHO Blue Books. Anthony has been recognized with numerous awards, such as the Benjamin Castleman Award, the Ramsey Kutran Young Investigator Award, and in 2018, he was appointed as a member of the Order of Australia in the Queen's Birthday, honors for significant service to medical research in the field of surgical pathology as an academic, author, advisor, and mentor. This is great. So even the Queen now knows about surgical pathology, and hopefully she's going to follow our path, chat. Anthony will be joined by a rising star, his junior colleague, Dr. Talia Fuchs. She is a clinical senior lecturer from the University of Sydney. They will both discuss for us the recent modern pathology publication on SDH-deficient RCCs. So thank you both for accepting my invitation. And I realize it's very early in Australia and we have some uh, time delay, but uh, I'm sure it's going to be great. Thank you.
2: Thank you for
3: having us.
2: Thanks very much for the kind words and a shout out to the... Queen, if she's listening, um, it's about eight AM here in in Sydney, so it's not too uh, too uh, too early. And I'm um, look forward to the opportunity to discuss this uh, this paper. Wonderful!
1: This uh, the accent is going to be beautiful, so we're going to get a lot of uh, uh, audience just to listen to the beautiful accents of both of yeah. you. We'll put another shrimp on the Barbie for you when you come down. <laughs> All right, all right. So, let's let's get to business here. So, the uh, SDH-deficient renal cell is no longer an emergent. Now, it's a serious entity on its own, but I realize it's evolving. Uh, So, but for our audience, who not everybody does renal cell, can uh, one of you start with
2: setting the stage with a little background information about the entity? Sure. I mean, maybe we'll talk about SDH-deficient tumours in general and then the renal carcinoma. So we have an interest in endocrine pathology as well as urologic pathology. And we know that in fear chromocytoma and paraganglioma as a group, maybe up to 40% of those tumours are hereditary. And the most common hereditary cause is the group of disorders we call SDH-deficiency And they're almost always associated with germline mutations in one of the SDH genes, SDHA, SDHB, C, D, or SDHAF2. And what's neat, what's emerged in endocrine pathology over the last 12 to 14 years is that there's a very simple immunohistochemical marker for SDH deficiency, and that is immunohistochemistry for SDHB. And basically, if a tumour shows loss of expression of SDHB, uh, that's a very good marker that there's bilayer mutation inactivation deletion in the tumour. And what we know from paraganglioma and chromosotoma is that somatic-only mutations are very, very rare, maybe 1% to 3% of SDH-deficient cases. So with a simple immunistochemical marker, uh, we could identify pheochromocytomas and paragangliomas. Now, it's emerged over the last 15 or 20 years that patients with SDH germline mutations have an increased risk of a few other tumours, clearly paraganglioma and pheochromocytoma is the most common, Uh, a unique subtype of GIST known as SDH deficient GIST, Uh, quite rarely pituitary adenomas, in some setting pulmonary chondromas uh, and of course renal cell carcinoma. Now, it would be really beneficial to be able to identify patients, index patients, presenting with deficiency with renal cell carcinoma. When we first started looking at this about 12 years ago, uh, we had a few kindreds. Uh, we have about 500 kindreds throughout the whole. We do centralised testing for a lot of Australia here, and we knew that they had renal carcinomas. And they've been called a variety of things from onchocytoma, clear-cell carcinoma, chromophobes over the years. And we thought we'd pull them all together and have a look at it one after another. And the first case that we saw had a very distinctive morphology. Uh, Eosynthic cells, quite peculiar and unusual intracytoplasmic. Uh, inclusions that uh, ultra look like giant mitochondria mm. uh, and sort of a nested architecture with cytoplasms is eosinophilic but not quite opposite. It. and I remember very clearly when we saw the first patient we got another patient in and these are quite rare so they're mostly consultation cases and I looked at that slide and thought oh gee they've accidentally sent me the same person's tumour twice because they oh. had the same surname because they were related and then we looked into it actually it was uh, the same kindred it was a, a Daughter and uh, and mother, and we saw in that first report a very distinctive morphology uh, of this nested growth pattern, the Aesimic cell type, epithelioid cytology, quite rounded bland cells, uh, and you know it's in this sort of grey zone between oncocytoma onchocy- oncocytoma and uh, chromophobe, but not really compatible with both. So we put it out there as this is an emerging entity uh, with a distinctive morphology. But what's been very beneficial. Is that that simple? chemical marker SDHB has been a really great marker, so you can screen large numbers of tumors uh, to find this very rare entity. Now, there's been a, we had a series of publications, and a shout out uh, to Kirill Tripkoff, who helped with a subsequent follow-up publication in the American Journal of Surgical Pathology, and of course uh, the late great Andre Hess, who was uh, you know a giant in the field, who in all these collaborations couldn't do enough to help and just provided so much and uh, a great loss to uh, to surgical pathology with his recent um, recent death. Anyway, we put together, and again, because we were screening first by morphology, there's a selection bias that obviously cases with classic morphology are easier to recognise. There are other clues at family history of the other syndromic stuff. So as this became more widely recognised, we receive more and more cases for consultation. Lots of places don't have SDHB in used chemistry, and it can be a difficult stain to interpret because significance is placed on loss of expression uh, rather than positive stain. So we get a lot of cases in for consultation. Uh, and obviously a lot of them, you know, most of them are not SDH deficiency, but some of them are. And whilst many, many had plastic morphology, we saw a few patterns emerging of what we'll call variant morphology, features that aren't. Typical, And then we had another cohort, as molecular testing is becoming increasingly more widely available, uh, where morphology wasn't a part in the identification of these tumours. People had done broad panel testing of which the SDH genes were on most panels, and uh, they pulled out these tumours not suspecting the SDH deficiency, and we go back and retrospectively review them. So, as is always the way with these new entities. It goes from a very classic type morphology to evolve towards more variant morphologies. Often these tumours have those stereotypical features very focally, but when you're flying through a lot of slides, you don't see them. So we thought we should put together these variant morphologies to put them out there for surgical pathologists to recognize, and then explore more about the predictive and prognostic factors and the risk of germline mutation uh, and other factors I think help in the clinical management of these uh, patients.
1: Put together, so we, uh, and the we here is probably at least 50 authors. Uh, So I and that's a testimony to the great networks of urologic pathology and how collaborative our community is. I'm being one of them. Unfortunately, I'm not on the paper, uh, but uh, because I love bladder, I'm not so, so enamored with kidney, so I didn't give you any of the cases. Uh, but, uh, but this is, uh, and I thank you for. Uh, for uh, mentioning uh, the uh, giving credit to the late uh, Andre and to uh, Kirill Trebkov. By the way, Andre was uh, was a guest on this podcast, one of our earliest uh, guests, and it's been so tragic uh, to lose such a friend and colleague. So, uh, so you put together the group, and it's around what, 62 tumors from 59 patients. Uh, uh, I guess, Dalia, can you, can you tell us a little yeah. bit more about how how you conducted the study? Since after all, we know the first author do all the work and, uh, <laughs> yes. and the senior is just a senior sitting there.
3: Trying to enter everyone's names and email addresses into the editorial manager was one of the hardest parts of this paper.
1: Yes, <laughs> <But>, um, <laughs> I agree. I agree. Took, I took the whole first page.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so... Uh, yeah, as you said, we had 62 tumours from 59 patients. So there were three patients um, that had two tumours. Um, and a lot of these came to Anthony as consultation cases. And we also reached out and asked people to send us any cases that um, you know, were difficult to classify or were from anyone with a suggestive family history um, or from young patients, for example. Um, And so we asked everyone to send us some um, formalin-fixed paraffin-embedded tissue or unstained slides, um, and we wanted to do SDH staining on any cases that hadn't had that performed already. A lot of them already had. Um, And we went through and reviewed them all, uh, did the SDH A and B, um, amongst some other stains as well. And we confirmed that um, all of these cases were indeed SDHB deficient. Um, and then sort of just looked at the morphology and, and described all the different histological patterns. Um, and then I did some statistical analyses. We did have a bit of follow-up data from uh, most of the patients, but not all. It's always tricky getting good follow-up data when you've got these multi institutional and international cohorts Um, but we did actually get quite a bit of um, follow-up data which was really useful in looking at the um, you know the behavior of this entity and comparing it with um, you know non-SDH deficient tumors. Um,
1: And I realized some of them I think if I'm correct 18 of them did have some germline Assessment, correct? and
3: That's right. They had known um, germline variants in SDHB, yeah.
1: So that's the so only that- molecular you did? You didn't do additional molecular?
3: No, we couldn't get any further molecular testing. Um, and unfortunately, we didn't have any patients with mutations in the other SDH genes, um, which would have been nice. But um, yeah, that's what we had.
2: Excellent. So, I suppose uh, that's a point the... just to make that often these tumors, not, although we use SDHB as a marker, they have mutations of SDHC or SDHA, SDHD, I'm not sure how common that is, it's probably quite rare, but uh, you know often contributors have only done SDHB mutation testing and really you should go on if it's SDHB negative to look for other SDH mutations. So the majority seem to have germline mutations.
1: SDHA, but you use the SDHB and immunosuppressant. Yeah, so it's a, it's a bit of a trick that
2: tumours with mutations in A, B, C, D or AF2 show loss of expression of SDHB. Uh, tumours with mutations in SDHA show loss of expression in SDHA as well as SDHB. So we normally do them in parallel. If with SDHA negative, they probably have an SDHA mutation, which are not uncommon in the general population, but have a very low penetrance. Excellent. So,
1: what are what are the findings? Uh, what are the patterns? And uh, this is such a relatively big cohort, so.
3: Yeah. So we found a lot of the tumours. Most tumours had that um, conventional morphology that Anthony described, at least focally. Um, but there were also a significant number. I think it was about 13 that had um, this variant morphology and there were all sorts of different um, patterns. So there were, you know, solid sheets, sarcomatoid. Um, we had some that showed some papillary architecture, um, you know, stromal desmoplasia, a couple of cases had rhabdoid morphology. So it was really variable. Mm. But the other thing that we found was, um, that even cases that had the typical morphology, um, so typically they would have really low nuclear grade, so I sub grade one or two, some cases actually had just the only um, variation was that their nuclear grade was a little bit higher. Um, and those cases we actually found um, behaved more aggressively, even in the absence of actual variant morphological architectures. Um, and the other thing that we found was quite interesting was um, the presence of necrosis. So even in cases with otherwise completely typical morphology, having necrosis was another really poor prognostic factor. Um And there were three cases altogether that had entirely uh, variant morphology with no areas of conventional morphology. So that's a really interesting point because these cases would not have been picked up as SDH deficient if we hadn't just been screening them. Um, And I suppose this this, um, study eliminates that um, selection bias that we get from only screening cases that have a suggestive history or suggestive morphology. Um, so now we can see that there's actually a really broad range of uh, appearances that we can get with these tumors.
1: So, and and so, so then have you can have necrosis. And just to emphasize uh, for the audience, you can have necrosis uh, with the typical morphology, and that by itself is significant. Correct. And you can have a typical morphology with areas where the nuclear grade or that you would have interpreted as a higher grade, and that's also a cause yeah. for concern in term of uh, in term of prognosis.
3: That's right. And we we sort of suggested in the paper because as it stands, we don't typically report the nuclear grade for these tumors because they're all accepted. You know, we think that they're all low grade, no low nuclear grade, but we suggest that perhaps it's important to actually include the nuclear grade in our reports um, because it does have some prognostic significance. Um, so maybe that's something to consider going forward.
1: And that's that's really important. Uh, uh, and uh, other other implications from the findings of the study.
3: Um, so I suppose the main one is just for pathologists to have a lower threshold for doing SDH um, immunohistochemistry, um, even in cases that don't ha- that don't have any of the typical morphologic features. Um, so I suppose in young patients, anyone with a family history or a personal history of other um, SDH deficient tumor types, um, and yeah, just to um, Look out as well for these variant morphologies, but also um, look at the nuclear grade and look for necrosis. I think those are really important things to include in the report. Excellent,
1: and uh, Anthony, anything else you want to add uh, to what uh, Talia so eloquently? Yeah, and I think
2: Talia makes excellent points that uh, most renal tumors we see fit very nicely into clearly defined categories, but you do see. Uh, these rare things that you just can't fit into anything. Uh, and it really is good to have a low threshold to do not just SDHB chemistry, but you fumarine hydrodase and 2SC because we also look for HLRCC and a few other tests. So it's easy for us because we've got these stains on hand. We don't have to send them away, pay someone outside to do it. I suppose clues, uh, apart from the morphology, which is described in detail in the paper, is that these tumours often um, uh, show little or no cytokeratin expression. Uh, they're negative for CKID, but that sometimes highlights intratumoral mast cells. Uh, and these are sort of things that might push you towards sending it away if you don't have the market in-house. And of course, the clinical thing, the family history of Pheochromocytoma, if they suggest Hippel-Lindau syndrome, but they don't have VHR or classic clisorine or renal carcinoma. Yeah, and we've mentioned chest and pulmonary chondroma and pituitary tumours and Pheo. Um, but really considering it, the marker is quite robust. Uh, just considering doing the marker in any difficult uh, to classify tumor is a fairly uh, fairly high yield.
1: Thank you. Yeah, and and for the audience the reason you mentioned CKID because uh, in the past uh, you these entered in differential of oncosiphon and still. Uh, and the first thing, one of the things you do is CKID to to be in that category, chromo or or onco and CK seven, and and having a negative CK uh, should clue you in, and, and and then you take the next step.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: And uh, just wanted to add. Uh, uh, hopefully, the, the whole idea of the podcast that the audience will go and read the paper. Uh, we can't uh, uh, talk about every, unfortunately, due to the limitations of time, every single thing. But I was uh, uh, struck by uh, some of the patterns, uh, microcystic, and that uh, mixoid mucinous that you that you mentioned. These. Uh, so uh, as I always uh, tell our uh, fellows and residents, uh, anything nowadays can can look like anything. So you end <laughs> up doing SDH and FH a lot of time you know, uh, I fully agree with the low threshold, uh, threshold. but even out sometimes we end up doing uh, when whenever we cannot yeah. classify a tumor, we do these because, like you said, we have them. Uh, and, and the hope is sometimes you're going to capture these and it's going to have significant either therapeutically or prognostically. So we're stuck with this because, uh, like you said, the original morphology is never staying as the pathognomonic as much as we would have loved to. Any, uh, any closing uh, remarks, Talia?
3: Um, no, I suppose that's it. The only other thing to say is um, as I mentioned, like 95% of our cases did focally have the conventional morphology so, um, you know, if you're in a place where it's hard to have access to these um, immunohistochemical stains, look really carefully hunt around and see if you can find some of those um, inclusions uh, or anything that looks somewhat suggestive that could help, but yeah.
1: Thank you. This has uh, been very uh, helpful to, uh, to me even uh, to, uh, to uh, zoom in on some of the, the new features and I'm sure our audience are going to appreciate and thank you again both for uh, taking the time uh, from across continents, uh, but uh, we love Zoom for this. So.
0: Thank Go you. Ahead. Ahead. Thanks very much, George. It's been an absolute pleasure. We've enjoyed it. Thank you. Any opinions expressed in this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the views of modern pathology, Springer Nature, UAB, or USCAP. Your ModPath chat host and scientific director is Dr. George Neto. Producers are Christina Crow, Amber Jackson, Dr. Sarah Jang, and Dr. Catherine Ketchum. Technical direction is provided by Kaminsky Productions, music by Mitch Neubauer. Thanks to the authors, reviewers, and editors of Modern Pathology for making this podcast possible.